Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. Right now, the justices at the U.S. Supreme Court are hearing arguments on the controversial Texas abortion law, how the court rules could shape legal battles for years to come on this issue. Alan Dershowitz is here to analyze that, plus the new lawsuits piling up against President Biden's vaccine mandate, the forcible touching charge against now former New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo, and whether Alan thinks Alec Baldwin will be held criminally responsible for the Rust movie shooting. Alan's actually been involved in these kinds of cases before. He was involved in that Brandon Lee shooting years ago, in that case, I should say, and uh, has got some thoughts on all of that as Alec Baldwin finally takes to the microphones and speaks out on it. But we're going to begin today with Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review, who joins me to discuss the Biden administration possibly paying millions of dollars to families who illegally crossed our southern border, protesters shouting down a bride because Senator Kirsten Sinema was at her wedding. It's so rude. And the new polls ahead of Election Day tomorrow, tomorrow now in Virginia and elsewhere. But all eyes are on the Commonwealth, the VA that have Democrats very worried. Um, So we're going to start there. Welcome, Rich. Good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Okay, so the the latest polls on the Virginia race, which I know you guys have been watching carefully. um, The Fox News outlier, I think it's fair to say, had him up, Youngkin, the Republican, up 0.8. 0.8 percentage points. Um, that's outside the polls margin of error, however. And people should know, I've heard you say this too, but I, I know these guys all on the Fox News polling unit very well, work with them for years. These are legit nonpartisan pollsters. This isn't like, you know, Hannity's right. polling unit. <laughs> this, this is like a very good, very well-respected polling unit. Um, and they, they've they got him up, uh, the, the Republican up eight. Washington Post, which was done a week earlier, had McAuliffe up by one. But one month earlier, I had McAuliffe up by five. In August, McAuliffe was up 6.6. And um, most of these polls up five, six, seven, eight. So it's been a big swing. And virtually all these polls show the same thing, which is education has made all the difference. So you tell me whether the DOJ's little stunt backfired, among other things. Oh, it definitely backfired. So the the Fox poll is interesting. I think... Prior to this one, they had McAuliffe up seven, which was an outlier the other way. Now they have mm. Yunkin up eight, which is an, an outlier pro Yunkin. My guess is, well, the Yunkin internal polling has them up three or four. And I wouldn't be surprised if Yunkin wins by about three tomorrow night. And what crystallized things for him, he, he spent months and months just laying the groundwork to play defense on the idea that he's a new Trump, that he's some sort of hateful figure, a white nationalist, just with these bio ads. But if you've been around politics, you look at one of these things, you kind of roll your eyes, right? Like, uh, you know, my dad got fired, which is terrible. Uh, Then I worked as a teenager, you know, cracking eggs at a diner. And then I practiced basketball, got a scholarship, built a business, raised four kids. And I'm nothing like a politician. You know, when this is obviously uh, the best work of of the political consultants he hired, but it, it defined him as kind of a suburban dad, this kind of unthreatening figure. So when they come in at the end here and say he's Trump, he's white nationalists, have guys holding tiki torches outside his campaign bus in Charlottesville on a white nationalist reference. Just none of that works. And he's he's hit education since the beginning of the campaign. But two things have really supercharged that issue for him. One, McAuliffe's gaffe, I'm not sure it was a real gaffe, what he believes, that parents shouldn't have, uh, sh- shouldn't determine what is taught in schools. 
McCall doubled down on this for a while until he realized it was a desperate mistake. Now he's playing defense on it. And as you mentioned, this, this Merrick Garland memo, which is completely indefensible. The school board association, national school board association that kicked it off with a letter has apologized and retracted the letter incredibly enough. But this has just made parental involvement, the legitimacy of parents protesting, all that made it a live political issue. And Youngkin's taken advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Merrick Garland has not backed down, notably, even though the School Board Association withdrew the the letter and apologized. Merrick Garland stands by his intention to investigate and potentially prosecute threats, threats, uh, violence and threats of violence, violence and threats of violence, of which there have been basically none. None. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. look at the addendum, and I know you guys took a close look at it, so did we, on that school board association letter. We went through it in great detail on Friday for people who want to hear it. But there there are no threats or violence or violence um, that were brought to the DOJ's attention. The only thing they had was that one case in Virginia with Scott Smith, the dad upset that his daughter had been raped. He's the only one facing criminal prosecution, uh, which he should not be. Uh, So we'll see. But clearly what we're talking about now is voter backlash. And and just to put a point on it, the uh, okay parents backed McAuliffe by 10 points two weeks ago, according to the Fox News poll. So parents were behind Terry McAuliffe by 10 points two weeks ago when it came to education. Now they're going for Youngkin by 14, a 24 yeah. point swing. I mean, very clearly something big is happening in Virginia when it comes to education. And this is not a bright blue state. It's no longer red. But that's this is one of the reasons why I I know you've been saying this would be huge. It would point to a viable path ahead for the Republican Party in swing states like Virginia if Youngkin manages to pull this off. Yeah. So what Youngkin has done, he's shown there's a there's a model where you can win the Trump base. And Youngkin, you know, he's he's a he's a smart guy. He ran a really serious business CEO of the, the Carlisle Group. So he's been deft about this. He's kind of played along with uh, some of Trump stuff. Said, you know, Trump, Trump, Trump is uh, uh, Trump's the reason he's running for in, in some respects. So he's kept the Trump voters. At the same time, he's kept some distance from Trump himself. He hasn't had Trump in uh, to campaign for him. He hasn't doesn't talk about God of his way to talk about Trump on the campaign trail. And as I, as I said, he's defined himself kind of as a nice suburban, fleece wearing suburban dad. So you can you need both in a state like Virginia. You, you're not going to win with if the Trump voters hate you. They don't mm-hmm. hate Youngkin. They're supporting him. But you're not going to win if you're a 2020 obsessive MAGA hat wearing true blue Trumpist because you're not going to win the, the suburbs. And he's not that. So he's made huge gains in the suburbs. And you don't need to win Loudoun County. Loudoun County, astonishingly enough, he was ground zero for this education fight. Biden won Loudoun County by 62 with 62 percent of the vote. This is an outer suburb. This isn't like an inner suburb that's been a blue forever. So he Young is talking about winning Loudoun County, which would speak to kind of landslide for him, I think. But if you just take the edge off Loudoun County and other places, that should be enough to to get him over the top. Now, deep red states, this is not what you're going to do, right? You're never going to get through a primary unless you're you're a real Trump fan. Uh, But in swing states, it shows that this is possible. And for me, it's just it's an obvious and common sense path just that just requires a a little uh, deafness and a little acuity as a campaigner. And Youngkin's had that. Mm -hmm. So what's been really interesting because of the dynamic you're just outlining is that, yeah, Youngkin has not been mentioning Trump. Trump now is going to have a tele 
I really want to say Teletubby. It's not right. He wants to have a tele-rally, <laughs> tele-town hall for Youngkin, and Youngkin's not going to participate. Again, smart political moves, irrespective of his feelings about Trump one way or the other. We don't really care. He's just politically he's trying to keep that arm between the two of them. But but McAuliffe, I mean, so somebody put together a mashup of McAuliffe talking about, um, well, it seems like he's talking about Trump, but he's trying to attack Youngkin. Listen to this. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump. He keeps invoking Trump. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump. Have you made this race too much about Trump? No. So that was from the Youngkin camp, I guess. Pretty effective. Yeah. So and, and I would almost date. You can almost hear in, in McCall's voice when he knows he's losing that kind of hoarser version of the Donald Trump. That's McCall yeah. who knows he's, he's losing. And Terry McCullough, you wouldn't know it over the last two months or so ago or so, is an incredibly uh, irrepressible personality. Everyone likes being around him. There's a reason Bill Clinton spent hours and hours playing cards with, with Terry McCullough. He's a hugely entertaining guy. But you can just tell, even if you weren't looking at any polls, he sounds exhausted. He sounds desperate and he sounds angry. And this thing from over the weekend where all of a sudden you're saying, no, this race isn't about Trump. I don't think I've taught that much about Trump. He's <laughs> kicking away what has been his main line of attack against Yunkin for months, clearly because they know it's not working. And they're, they're just desperate to have a guy on the ballot who's just not. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe he will be in 2024, but Trump's not on the ballot in Virginia. He's not going to be on the ballot anywhere in 2022 either. Well, and Youngkin's, you know, whole approach to this, just sort of like, I, I'm, maybe I'm a little avuncular, maybe I'm a little boring, I'm a little milk toast, is working, which is why I know you wrote, fear the fleece. You do need yeah. to fear the fleece, his little fleece sweater vest that he's been wearing that, you know, Obama came out after and McAuliffe came like, you know, to try and exp- paint him as some sort of crazy extremist, white supremacist in a fleece vest. There's zero evidence for this. Biden, Biden came out and said that. Um, and it's not it's not working, but they do need to fear the fleece a little because it's sort of that softer gentler, yeah. more vir- more Commonwealth of Virginia like gentlemanly approach yeah. that's working. Yeah, and it's it's not to your, to your point. This is kind of a Commonwealth of Virginia sort of style. This is the model that, give or take, has always worked for Republicans in state level races. Going back to George Allen, when it was you know basically a red state, but George Allen, Bob McDonald, Jim, Jim Gilmore, they all made themselves acceptable to the center, and then ran on kind of practical, cost of living uh, type issues. And uh, Youngkin has done that with, with a greater emphasis on education, as we talked about. And what he's managed to do is, one, avoiding seeming like Donald Trump, and two, avoiding seeming like Mitt Romney, because this would be the other line of attack mm. on him. He's a vulture capitalist. He's a, just a soulless business guy. And, and he has a profile that, you know, if you just read the bio, is very similar to Mitt Romney. But he, he's made himself softer. He's defined himself not as, you know, a jobs creator and a businessman, an entrepreneur, but instead as a suburban dad. And that's just been just right for this race, just right for the state. 
Mm-hmm. Especially because it's really parents' rights that are now going to join this. And I know mm-hmm. it's so crazy, Rich, to be talking about a race this tight where education seems to be what's going to turn it for the Republican, for the Republican. Yeah. I mean, I would say as yeah. a parent who's been very outspoken on the lunacy being unfolded in our schools from the mask and vaccine mandates to the critical race theory to the trans stuff, I'm so delighted to see parents standing up and actually having an impact. You know, it's not so much about yeah. Youngkin for me. It's that parents in a purple state have had enough and are trying night and day in the in the context of this race to draw a line on how far they will let crazy far left agendas permeate their schools. Yeah. And with Yunkin, he's talked about it from the beginning and it hasn't just been critical race theory. He's obviously hit that hard, justifiably so. But it's been excellence in standards. There's a, a school down there called Thomas Jefferson High School which has been a, a big focus because there's been an effort to undermine the merit-based admissions there because it supposedly has the wrong, quote-unquote, composition of the student body because it's heavily Asian-American. He's hit that from the beginning. He's hit school safety. He's hit this kind of explicit content that parents are, are worried about and obviously hit CRT. But if you talk to the young people, what they will say is it used to be all, all this was kind of too death disparate, you know, and you have a bunch of people in, in the room and only some of them would be into the academic standards and some of them would be into the safety and some of them would be the CRT. But McCall really helped them tie a bow around it and and the legitimacy, the question of the legitimacy of parent involvement, parent mm. um, protest. Mm. And when, when you say that, they say everyone in the room applauds, whereas, you know, maybe only a quarter of the rooms into the, you know, defending Thomas Jefferson University and uh, high school and the, the standards, but they all support parental involvement and just getting on the wrong side of parents. That's a cardinal rule of American politics. Whatever the issue is, don't do it. And Terry McCall pass. Yeah. And they're they're doing it at the state level and at the federal level, as we discussed. So meantime, um, (laughs) the Lincoln Project guys always on admission to uh, double down on their their just terrible behavior from their previous attack ads or complaints or whatever it is. Why is this group still out there for? I mean, I don't understand how the Lincoln Project even still has a platform with its, you know, support of this pedophile who they covered up for and this attack of a woman who tried to go public with them and and Steve Schmidt admitting what he did with this woman. I mean, like the the number of attacks on this pedophile supporting organization uh, should have really rendered them irrelevant long ago. And yet Democrats seem to love so much all their attacks on Trump and any Trump supporter and Ivanka Trump still and Jared. It's like, okay, move on. They can't. And so I was surprised. I'm Stuart Stevens is part of the Lincoln Project. And I used to say I used to have him on the Kelly file all the time before he went like crazy. I mean, he's just gone so hard into Trump derangement syndrome. You can't listen to the guy anymore, like all those guys at the Lincoln Project. And they staged this I don't know. It was like a fake rally. It was like a fake little rally trying to imitate the tiki torches and the white supremacists that happened in Virginia in 2017. And they now they're like, oh, it was all, you know, it was sort of intentionally fake. And we knew sort of we'd be outed. That's not how it unfolded. They wanted this to look like an actual Youngkin rally of white supremacists. And only when they got caught did Stuart Stevens come out and say, OK, yeah, it was us. And, you know, we own it and we think it's great. But they tried to pull a fast one on Virginia voters. Yes. First of all, the purpose of the Lincoln Project and the purpose of it was he had a bunch of Republicans that hated Trump and the mainstream media loved it. I mean, they're they're on uh, Morning Joe all the time. They're on CNN all the time, kind of pumping up what they were doing. And I, so I sort of thought after the 
2020 presidential election, they kind of go away. But they they're still going. I mean, they raised money hand over fist. Some of it went to ill purposes, apparently, in 2020. And they're still going is basically indistinguishable from any Democratic um, campaign group now. But yet they had these four or five people, one black guy, one woman. I mean, they, they weren't very plausible white nationalists. I'm not sure they <laughs> meant it to be taken seriously or not. But the fact is, people did. And if, if it was just a joke, they punked their own side because you had Democratic operatives, including McCall of staff and left leaning journalists promoting this as a real thing. You know, Joe Lockhart, former Clinton press secretary, how can Glenn Youngkin tolerate this? It show, shows how hateful he is. Now, a lot of these tweets were deleted without explanation, mm. but it was a thing among people who were either too cynical to, you know, take five seconds to try to understand what was going on there or too credulous. Um, and, and they promoted it. But this this backfired uh, massively. Um, the McCall campaign says that they had nothing to do with it. You know, who knows? They, they jumped on it really quickly for having nothing to do with it. But it was clearly an embarrassment mm-hmm. for the Democrats. Yes. It's uh, so, yeah, the um, several members of the McAuliffe team had retweeted uh, the original item as though it were real. This is from the Wall Street Journal editorial uh, campaign communication staffer Jen Goodman calling the Tiki Torch photo disgusting and disqualifying. McAuliffe spokesperson mm-hmm. Christina Froelich said this is who Glenn Youngkin's supporters are. So far, no apology for that smear. Um, and the press, uh, as the journal goes on to say, seems content to pretend it's all an intra GOP struggle, a squabble. The Washington Post calling the Lincoln Project an anti-Trump Republican group. That's a joke. I mean, even Stewart has long ago renounced his role as a Republican operative and all the Republicans that he worked to get elected. This is not a Republican group. This is I don't even know what it is. It's hard left Democrat now. And they're not only not Republican, but they've been supported by the left leaning press at every turn. And before I get you to comment on that, just want to give you here's a here's a this is from Grabian. They do a great job of butting together soundbites to give you the flavor. And uh, this is the media and how the media feels about the Lincoln Project behind this stunt. Um, not not since the, this stunt was pulled, but this is sort of the, the cozy relationship they have. Listen, the Lincoln Project is like watching a Jay-Z Nas rap battle. I mean, they don't let up on this president. The Lincoln Project founded by members of the GOP dedicated to Seeing Donald Trump defeated. And their ads are terrific. They're smart. They're super fast, which is great. Uh, they troll Donald Trump. The, the Lincoln Project has just been hammering Donald Trump. I think he's starting to feel for the first time, you know, <laughs> what it likes to be losing. Take a look at this new ad uh, taunting Trump from the Lincoln Project. Well, they're out with a devastating new TV ad. Here's the Lincoln Project's latest ad. Let's take a look at part of a new ad. I, I want to play an ad. Here is the latest ad. And when I say new, this one's new. <laughs> They're not Republicans, nor are the media who support them. Yeah, and a lot of those ads, they were they just ran in the Washington D.C. media market as a way to troll Trump. One, but two, make sure the journalists saw it and would talk about it, and it got played on Twitter so they could raise more money. But I think it was someone, one of these former Obama guys, Dan Pfeiffer, pointed this out at some point. This. This is not helping winning an election. You know, you're not running any of this stuff in battleground states. And that kind of shamed them into at least making the show of running some of these ads elsewhere. But this is always a, a Twitter and cable TV phenomenon. They're not Republicans anymore. And just the test of that, if you're supporting Terry McCall over Glenn Youngkin, who is not Donald Trump in any single way, you're just you're not a Republican anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Full stop. And, mo- and most of the leadership has come out and said that themselves. It's just the media now that insists on still branding them as Republicans as though this right. is an inter-party squabble and it's anything but. I mean, look at the numbers. As I say, 24-point swing on the issue of education. That is not something that that's not some Republican intra-squabble. Over, this is like actual politics playing out in the polls and the Lincoln Project, desperate for relevance after its pedophilia scandal, still pushing out ads trying to act like they're some impartial arbiter. All right, we've got much more with Rich Lowry Go, the Let's Go Brandon media cycle. Did you hear about this thing on Southwest? Did it actually happen with this pilot? The media's reaction to it and how protesters going after not just Senator Cinema, but a wedding she's attending, the bride and mother of the bride, most unhappy, and then the big, big payouts our government's considering making to the families of uh, children who entered this country unlawfully uh, with their parents' approval. And now we're getting ready to pay millions of dollars to them. Stand by for that. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you, too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. You're cruising down the highway, windows rolled down, tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com slash carlson. For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more, all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash Carlson. Visit now. So, Rich, there's been a bit of a dust up on the Let's Go Brandon front, which is now sort of a euphemism for F.U. Biden uh, based on this race car. It was a NASCAR event where the NBC reporter hearing all the crowd chant F.U. In, in the actual explicit terms, Biden said to the race car driver, Brandon, somebody, oh, they're chanting, let's go, let's go, <laughs> let's go, Brandon. Anyway, yeah, they weren't. So now it's become a thing. And according to one, as far as I can tell, it's only one AP reporter named Colleen Long, Colleen Long who's reporting this. So we haven't actually confirmed whether this happened, an important note to this story. But she says she's that there was a Southwest Airlines pilot who allegedly said over the uh, the mic to everybody on the plane, let's go, Brandon. Um, so he he said it. 
and that it was explicit. And now people are losing their minds. Um, there's one person, for example, now Matt, Matt Taibbi has a great post at his Substack, which everybody should subscribe to, um, pointing out how, for example, Juliet Kayyem, she's a former Homeland Security official at CNN uh, and now at CNN, and says, if Southwest Air doesn't do anything, every passenger on that flight has standing to file a complaint with the FAA and they should do so. <laughs> Southwest will then be compelled to investigate or defend him. Have fun with that. No messing around in the air bright line rule. And then he goes on to point out, this is kind of funny to relive. You remember the number of reporters and civilians in in front of microphones who said the nastiest things about Trump, right? Don't remember Juliet Kayyem's outrage or anyone else's. I mean, the the so Robert De Niro, Taibbi points out, drops the F-bomb at the Tony Awards. Um, I mean, he really went after Trump. He said, F Trump. And they loved it. USA Today celebrated the moment. Uh, Vox, De Niro told the Tony's audience, F Trump. He got a standing ovation. Points out when Samantha B went on TBS and called Ivanka Trump a feckless C word, though she said it, the actual word. She was forced to apologize. But the, you immediately saw a New Yorker column um, saying she should not have apologized. Sally Field, the actress, said she was Wrong to use the word because the C words are beautiful, nurturing and honest. The Daily Beast headline was a visual high five complete with a damn about that word on Ivanka. Jim Gaffigan, the least potty mouth comedian on the planet, Taibbi writes, went off on Trump uh, not, pre- not not long prior uh, well, well into his presidency. And Forbes came out and said, oh, it was a fourth wall experience revealing a man who simply wants things to go back to normal. The Washington Post called that De Niro speech one of the hits of the Tony Awards. I could go on. So if you want to say F Trump or Trump's an effort or Ivanka's a C word, go for it. But if some pilot may or may not have said, let's go, Brandon, the G rated version of the, all of that, we need investigations. Complaints ought to be written to the FAA and so on. Yeah. So first of all, you know, saying F the president, it's vulgar, but it's also been the norm throughout all of American political life. You know, they didn't have exactly that vulgarity, but, you know, ask Martin Van Buren or John Quincy Adams or Andrew Jackson, whether Mm -hmm. he was subjected to derision and abuse. And the answer is yes, in in all cases, and they all hated it, but it's part of living in a free country. And the thing about let's go, Brandon, it's a, it's a, a joke version of Joe Biden. And it's not just the jibe at Biden. It's making fun of this whitewashing or misunderstanding, whatever it was, of the phrase. It's it's funny. It's it's meant in a uh, relatively lighthearted way. And as you say, we're not sure whether the pilot actually said this. There's been some people saying maybe he said, let's go Braves. But then, you know, there's an audio out there kind of suggesting that. But then the audio actually might have been from another flight. So so who knows? But the idea that this guy is Juliet Kayyem was suggesting, you know, c- could have been experiencing a mental health crisis and was seething with anger such that they couldn't be trusted to fly a plane <laughs> is absurd. And you had this other analyst at CNN. I, I, uh, I can't say her name. Um, I, I don't want to mispronounce it. Uh, she's a, a Yale professor compared it to saying long live ISIS. Right. Yes, when yes. someone if a pilot said that everyone would freak out because ISIS is a terrorist group. And if someone loyal to ISIS might be subject to committing a a suicide attack. (laughs) So saying clearly what must have been a a jokey way, let's go, Brandon, is nothing like that. So this is just what drives people so crazy. What's good for the goose is never good for the gander. And in this case, it was, you know, F your guy for me. 
but not F our guy for thee. Yeah, that's right. I, this reminds me of um, back when I was practicing law, one of my fellow lawyers in my firm, we were up against just the nastiest woman. God, she was so nasty and she was just a bottom feeder. I mean, on everything, she'd stab you in the back and she wouldn't give you an extension and she'd swear at you and call you names and she'd always do it outside the presence of the judge. But anyway, we none of us liked her. And her name was Doris. And one of my partners went into court and uh, she won a motion. It was a small motion, but she won. And she looked at him and she said, it's not so fun now, is it? And he looked at her and said, fuck you, Doris. No, he said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me, Adana, he goes, blow me, Doris. That's what he said, blow me. And she, she was like, enjoy your complaint before the ethics board. So he came back to the office. He's like, she's going to report me to the ethics board. And I'm like, wait, are you sure it was blow me? Maybe it was you're below me, Doris. <laughs> Let's go through it again. Let's make sure. That's classic. And, and yeah. I'm sure, you know, I, I haven't gone and done the forensics on this Megan, but I imagine if you look at every TikTok video and Instagram video and Twitter video of people saying, let's go, Brandon, they're smiling, right? They're not seething yes. with, with anger and, and hatred. It's, it's something they th- think is, is, uh, is lighthearted. Yeah, exactly. It's an inside joke. It's kind of like a funny, uh, you know, you're on the, you're in the in crowd, you know what it means. People are something I like my mom has no idea what that means. She'd be asking me, what right. is that? Um, so right. it's kind of people are still enjoying knowing uh, and using it. And who knows whether the guy actually said that or not. Um, okay, Kristen Cinema back in the news uh, harassed again. The DOJ 100% is going to go after you if they think you've threatened a school board member by, you know, overstaying your time at the mic. But they most definitely are not going to go after you if you harass Kristen Cinema in a bathroom or if you show up at a wedding she's been asked to officiate. Keep in mind, this is the Democrat from Arizona who is holding up this. Uh, it was a three point five trillion dollar spending bill that was going to pay for all of Joe Biden's domestic wish list items. Now it's down to maybe, I don't know, half that. We have no idea where it's going to go, but it's going somewhere. Anyway, they're still mad. The Democrats are mad that she didn't she's not getting behind the full three point five in addition to the one point five one point two trillion dollar infrastructure. I mean, the numbers are just mind boggling. So just to put her terrible behavior in perspective, (laughs) it's okay. So she goes out to officiate a wedding of a friend's daughter and um, the tearful mother of the bride has to come out and beg these protesters to be quiet and not ruin the wedding. Here's a little bit of that. Hi, thanks for ruining my wedding. I really appreciate it. You know what? She's ruining our lives. And I'm sorry. It's just my wedding. I know. I'm beautiful. You are. Well, I, I really wish I could enjoy my wedding without you ruining it. I know you do. Would you just go down the ladder for an hour? It's my daughter's wedding. Just for an hour. Just let her go. Please. It's, it's, this person is not my daughter. My daughter's getting married. Tell, will you tell her that? Did, did you yes. invite Senator? Is that I, really I don't know. Here? Listen, tell her I, that we don't like what really she's here? doing to I, our country. I know, but you know I'm what? Invite this woman. You know what? Tell her. Really corrupting whole country. Tell her. I, I don't disagree with any of you people with your point of view and your rights. It's my daughter's wedding. So Please, throw her out. please just go down to the corner for one hour. Please. It's my daughter's wedding. Shame. 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 Shame
Yeah, it's, th- this is one of the worst aspects of our public life at the moment is there, there's no separation between the public and the private sphere. And Kristen Cinema should be able to go to the bathroom without being harassed. She should be able to go to a wedding, or I guess maybe she was officiating at this wedding, without the wedding being disrupted. And there's just, it's thuggish, goonish behavior and that lacks all common decency. This woman who's getting married, you know, it's, it's a day she'll remember the rest of your life. And why are you blighting it? What, what's possibly being accomplished there? What, what is this besides an ex- expression of just witless malice and, and sheer destructiveness and lack of consideration for, for other people? So, you know, the people on the, the right can do this, too. You occasionally have um, people showing up with bullhorns at people's houses. It's just it shouldn't happen. No one should do it. It's wrong. It's un-American. Eventually, someone's going to get hurt. We've already seen, you know, we had congressmen shot up at a, a baseball field as, as a function of partisan hate. But we could see more of that coming unless people just kind of back off. And I'll just say the last thing I'll say about this, Megan, is, um, you know, if you're in the public sphere, when people abuse you, even if you know they're out of, out of bounds, it's kind of hard to take. You know, it can get under your skin. It can rattle you. And just something that, that I've been really struck by is just how utterly composed Kristen cinema has been throughout this that bathroom incident you know she she goes in the stall she does her business comes out washes her hands excuse me you know and i know she's totally unflappable there's an airport video where she was talking to tim scott at the national Air, reagan Air, airport where, when they're you know leaving leaving washington dc for for the weekend and again someone's trailing her harassing her and she just says you know sorry tim i'm sorry you have to put up with this so I think she's she's been really impressive and, and a very, very interesting and unusual lady. I like witless malice. That's exactly right. If that had been me coming out of the bathroom stall and they'd come over to me, I would have rubbed my hands all over them. I would have right <laughs> before you get to the sink. You, you come over to me before I wash my hands. Your business. Too bad. You got in my business and now you're now you're in it. Now you're really in it. Um, but can I you guys have been making the point on the editors, which um, I love the editors, the podcast about how, you know, they keep pointing at her as like Bernie Sanders and others will point at her and Manchin and say, it's just not right for two senators to be able to hold up the will of the people, you know, to hold up this three point five trillion dollar spending bill on all these Democrat wish list items. In addition to the one point two trillion, the, the numbers are mind boggling. We've never passed money or bills like with this amount of spending in them before. Never. Ever. Um, this is like crazy beyond wartime spending. And um, they make it sound like she and Manchin have some uh, obligation to the country right. to fold. But it's not two senators upholding the will of the people. Yeah, it's 52. So you, you take a 50-50 Senate, subtract two Democrats, and you have 52 against. That's a majority. That's not anti-majoritarian. It's the definition, definition of majoritarianism. And the reason why they're having so, tr- so much trouble getting this agenda through, obviously, is they're acting as though they have FDR, LBJ-style LBJ majorities, and they just don't. FDR came in 1932 with a 200-seat majority in the House and 58 senators and went, went up, astonishingly enough, in, in 1934. I think in 1934, Republicans were down to 89 members of the House. And 16 senators. I mean, the Republican Party had basically been vaporized. Yeah. And in that circumstance, you get to do what you want, more or less. Even then, you know, party coalitions can can be um, uh, complicated. So even then, you you don't just get to do, you know, work your absolute will, but you get to force historic change through. And when you, Joe Biden, and you lost seats in the House, 
2020 and have a 50-50 tie and certainly are going to lose the House next year, it's going to be really hard to pass through a transformational agenda. And they kind of fool themselves. There's a lot of wishful thinking. There's a lot of wishful uh, commentary in the press about how amazing Joe Biden was. Now the cold reality is slapping them in the face. And they'll probably still get these two bills, the Infrastructure and the Reconciliation Bill. But as we've seen, they're going to be much reduced and understandably so. Mm-hmm. Meantime, the country's not behind Joe Biden. Uh, the latest Gallup poll shows his approval rating at 42 percent, which apparently is lower than any other modern first year president at a similar point in time, with the exception of Trump, who is at 37 percent. And 71 percent of the American people believe the United States is on the wrong track. That's up eight points since August. So since Afghanistan, I mean, it was falling during that. It's 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 kept going in the wrong direction for Joe Biden. That includes 93 percent of Republicans who think we're on the wrong track, 70 percent of independents and even 48 percent of Democrats. Um, people have no confidence in him and they don't feel optimistic about the country and they don't think he's competent or effective, nor do they say he's uniting the country. I mean, it's fail, fail, yeah. fail, fail. So what do you make of that? Was that going great. So, yeah, before so other than that, it's wonderful. Yeah, he came in at a weak place because he he was a default president. Seventy percent of Biden's voters say they were voting against Donald Trump rather than for him. And Joe Biden's been around a long, very long time in Washington. And no one ever said, that's the guy. That's the guy we need mm-hmm. leading this country. He just happened to be in the right place and the right time, survived the Democratic primaries, primarily because it wasn't Bernie Sanders. So he's kind of a double default president. And then he thought conditions would just um, lift him. You know, the economy would, would be roaring, the pandemic would be crushed. And obviously those two things have been much more complicated than he counted on. And then he just violated a, a, what should be a cardinal rule. Don't create unnecessary debacles. He did it at the border and he did it in Afghanistan. And when you run as the guy based on norms and calm and incompetence, it's especially important not to create unnecessary uh, debacles. So he's, uh, you know, I don't think the, the bottom has quite fallen out, but 42 percent, you're, you're getting close, you know, and if, if these bills go down or there's some other you know, debacle l- lurking here, um, you know, he could get into the high 30s. And, and, and then you could see, you know, all bets are off what happens in the House then, you know, 40, mm-hmm. 50, 60 Republican uh, pickup could could be wow. conceivable in, really? in those sort of circumstances. So you think? Yeah, if, if he takes another lurch down. Now, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think he'll, he'll probably get these bills and maybe he kind of uh, floats up a little bit from that. But it's easier to see how more things can go wrong than than how they're, they're going to work out for him the next six or 12 months. Mm-hmm. He continues to stumble on his words at virtually every appearance, does not instill confidence when it comes to his mental competence. And his VP doesn't either. She is a uniquely uninspirational figure if you look at how the public reacts to her, even Democratic crowds. We're going to show you a bit of that after this quick break so you can see for yourself. I mean, you've seen it before. You will see it again momentarily. And then we're going to talk immigration and about these massive payments we're apparently considering paying out now to families who sent their children across our southern border, willingly sent their children across our southern border, got separated and now want the American taxpayer to pay half a million dollars per person. Per per, it's more than Gold Star families get paid. That's in one minute. 
Um, also, remember, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And our full video show and clips uh, you can watch as well when you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly. If you prefer the audio version, you want to share it with somebody who missed it, you can subscribe, download on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, post a review while you're on there because I still read them all. I have read every single Apple review and there's, I don't know, 20... 1,000 now, so I've read them all. It's a fun way of keeping in communication with you guys. Check it out and, and post a comment, and I promise you I will read it. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs, and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. So Biden's approval numbers are down. Optimism and direction of the country uh, is down. And his number two is not making people feel more inspired than he is. That's for sure. So she gets involved. They're all involved now in trying to rally the troops for Terry McAuliffe back to Virginia. And um, gosh, every appearance she does, she fails. I mean, it's it's awkward. She just she can't land it. You know, she's just not well received by Democrats. I mean, this isn't Kamala Harris in front of a bunch of Republicans. So here she is trying to fire up the McAuliffe crowd. Watch and listen. Tell everybody, you know, to vote tomorrow. Nothing like saying, you want to meet me tomorrow? What you, what you doing tomorrow? You got any plans tomorrow? Tomorrow's a good day. It's going to be a good day. But the point is... <laughs> to find smattering, smattering of applause. Your thoughts? Yeah, so she's just not very good. I mean, there, there's a reason why she was at 3% in the polls and was one of the first Democrats to, to drop out. And, and then she won this great uh, lottery ticket by getting selected as Biden's Veep. And this, Megan, has to be what the scenario that keeps Democrats up at night. Something happens to, to Biden, right? God, God forbid we all wish him well. But for some reason, he can't run again in 2024, chooses not to run again in 2024. And then Kamala Harris is either already president or uh, is, is you know running as a sitting vice president for the, the party's nomination, how would you turn her away, right? The first right. African-American um, vice president, first woman uh, vice president, the historic figure at the time when the party is absolutely obsessed with woke identity politics. At the same time, everyone knows she just is not very good at this. I mean, she can't even keep staffs. Her own staff doesn't like her. So that that's that scenario where, you know, you're running... Kamala Harris against Donald Trump against anyone is the, the single worst possibility 
for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. It's like it, the uh, you point about how Terry McAuliffe, he's he's good at retail politics as a general matter, not this past month or two, but as a general matter, he's well liked and he can fire you up and he can make you laugh. She's the opposite. She like yeah. even what is she saying? See you tomorrow. You know, that's yeah. a good day. It's going to be a good day to say see you tomorrow. What is she saying? How is that her message to try to fire up the crowd? She just doesn't get it. She's not able to connect on a human to human level in a way a politician generally must to ascend to an office like that. So it does speak to the real predicament these Democrats are in. Yeah, it's 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 Hillary. It's the same problem Hillary Clinton has. There's just a lack of relatability there that goes back at the end of the day to a lack of sincerity. And, um, you know, very often politicians fake sincerity. Right. But but they, they have you have to be good at the good it, ones. Right? If you're yeah. not good at it, people feel it's false and no one's going to like you, even the people who agree with you on every single issue. And, and Kamala Harris just ha- has this problem in it in a huge way. And it's not something, you know, you either have or you don't at, at a certain level. And mm-hmm. it's not something that she's going to learn or not something that she's going to get better at. This is just the way the way she is. Yeah. Like Barack Obama had or Bill Clinton had, or Trump had. You know, I mean, they all have Mm -hmm. that ability and she does not have it. Um, Okay, let's talk about immigration because it's sort of a stunning headline that um, I think the the journal reporting that the uh, DOJ, HHS, and Homeland Security are all meeting about a plan considering paying about $450,000 per person, potentially almost a million per family, because apparently most of these kids who are sent across the border either came alone or came with one alleged parent. Um, They've filed a lawsuit, a lot of these folks who came across the southern border illegally, through the ACLU demanding $3.4 million per family. They want the American taxpayer to pay them for the family separation policy that Trump put into place, which was meant to deter this kind of behavior. He didn't want more illegal immigrants coming across and it was working. Uh, The total payout could top one billion. The ACLU alleges the children suffer trauma and anxiety. Um, You know, you could very well argue they should take that up with their parents who made this reckless decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the government attorneys apparently trying to defend against the ACL lawsuit actually objected, threatening to remove his name from the pleadings because he found this so objectionable that we were going to pay half a million dollars to people breaking our laws when we only pay $100,000 to the families of those who lose their lines, yeah. their lives in the line of duty, Rich. So you tell me how this is going to play politically and whether this could ever really happen. Yeah, I, it would be it would be a debacle for them politically. And look, th- this was a bad policy. It was a mistake. The, the idea was you'd have zero tolerance, meaning that everyone who c- came across illegally would be prosecuted, at least n- notionally, you know, charged with a crime. And while you're doing that to the adult, the child would be off somewhere else, and then they're instantly reunited. At least that's at the time. That's the way the idea was presented to me, and I supported it because that seemed reasonable to me. But what happened is, you know, if you're holding the adult for a certain period of time while he or she is is awaiting the court proceeding, you can only keep the child in a certain facility. You know, there's a strict time limit on that before HHS takes them, and then they're resettled somewhere in the country. So you had this unsustainable situation where these kids were kind of disappearing in the in this bureaucratic mall and that was wrong and it should have ended and it and it didn't and this this was at a time when the trump administration was just desperate to find some solution at the border this wasn't it they ended up with a solution remain in mexico and, and associated uh policies that that biden undid but the 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 forcing element in this this uh problem obviously 
is folks coming across the border illegally in, in the first place. And the idea that, that the United States government should pay them from having mistaken policy to try to discourage them from breaking our laws and violating our sovereignty, doing something they never should have done in the first place, is really hard to take. And just the disparity you point out between what these payments would, would in theory be and what we pay the families of the fallen. Dan Crenshaw hit this as, as well in a, a viral t- tweet a, a week or so ago. That is just totally unsustainable. And Peter Ducey of Fox News shattered, shattered a question overseas um, to, to Biden about this uh, yesterday or, or today. And Biden didn't say anything as going down the elevator. He sort of scratched, <laughs> scratched his head somewhat awkwardly. So I'd be surprised if they do this. If they do do this, it will supercharge the the what's already a pretty fierce backlash against the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. As a lawyer, I'd say fight, fight the case because you've mm-hmm. got assumption of the risk. Trump was implementing these policies at the time. A lot of these people made the decision to come. And Stephen Miller told us on the record that these parents were given the option to return home with or without the children. And mm-hmm. most chose without. So uh, there's a legal case to be fought there. Rich Lowry, always a pleasure. Be sure to check him out on National Review. Thanks, Love National you. Review. Love the editors. And we'll talk again soon. Coming up, Alan Dershowitz on Alec Baldwin vaccine mandates and more. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you, too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com carlson and save 20% today. a big day at the U.S. Supreme Court. The justices are now hearing arguments regarding that controversial Texas abortion law. And another case uh, that could soon be in the hands of the justices, President Biden's vaccine mandate. The lawsuits against it are piling up. And joining me now to discuss it all, 
Alan Dershowitz, professor emeritus at Harvard Law School and author of the new book, The Case for Vaccine Mandates. So you know what side he's on. That's one thing about we love about Alan. He never hides what side, he, what side he's on. Alan, great to have you back. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's start with what's happening before SCOTUS today. The Supreme Court taking up this controversial law down in Texas where they tried something we had never seen before, which was to pass a, a basically a private right of enforcement of a law that said you can't have an abortion later than six weeks. And the average term of pregnancy that leads to an abortion is around 16 weeks. So this is well before the average time a woman would seek an abortion. The federal law at the Supreme Court level has already been recognized to extend a 24-week ability to abort a fetus. And um, Texas got around it by saying, we're going to make it six weeks. We're going to tie it to a heartbeat. And we're going to say, instead of having a state official come after you, if you violate that as a mother, um, we're going to allow a private right of enforcement by a cab driver, anybody who aids or abets. um, Anybody could bring it against a cab driver, et cetera, who aids or abets in the performance of the abortion. Finally, it goes up before the Supreme Court. And so far this morning, the reports are not totally unexpected, but it looks like um, Alito and Gorsuch are the ones who are potentially open-minded to upholding the Texas law. Clarence Thomas always says nothing, but I'm going to guess he's with them. Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, suggested he's not totally unsympathetic. He said, I share some of the concerned concerns voiced by Alito and Gorsuch, but um, you tell me that's four. At best, I don't know about Amy Coney Barrett. You know, she's a she's a potential vote for that. But this is a crazy law. I mean, it's really this is out there. And whether you think based on what I've just said, it has any chance of being upheld. Well, the argument that's being made is an argument I made the day the law was passed. And I wrote it in an article on the Hill. And that is, if this law is upheld, then any liberal state can pass a similar law saying anybody who owns a gun can be sued. Anybody who participates in a gay marriage can be sued. Anyone who does anything that the conservatives don't like um, uh, and the liberals like can also be the subject of this. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, and it doesn't pass the shoe on the other foot test. So this is not just about abortion. It's about whether any state can circumvent the Supreme Court's decision by simply allowing a bounty to be offered to anybody outside the state or in the state who wants to earn $10,000 for challenging the lawsuit. And that was raised even by Justice uh, Thomas, uh, who's very concerned about the Second Amendment. Well, what if this was used in New York? If New York passed a statute saying anyone who tries to possess a gun consistent with the Second Amendment in Heller uh, or helps anybody get a gun can be sued for at least $10,000 plus their legal fee. So my prediction the court will not uphold this, and there will be probably two or three votes. I'm not even sure about Thomas, uh, but I don't think they're going to get five mm. to uphold this terrible precedent, forgetting about abortion, terrible precedent that would have completely undercut the civil rights movement, the anti-segregation movement. All Mississippi had to do is pass a statute saying that anybody who integrates a school can be sued by anybody who doesn't like it. And if that were to be upheld, that would be the end of the Supreme Court's power yes. in the area of gay rights, religious That's right. rights. 
It's an obvious end around what's been recognized as a constitutional right. You may not agree that it's a constitutional right, but the Supreme Court has so held. It's an obvious end around that. That's not the way the system is designed to work. You may like it on this case if you're pro-life, but you will not like it when it's used by the Democrats, as you point out, or as Kavanaugh actually raised today, conservative justice appointed by Trump, um, when it comes up, for example, on a gun right. Kavanaugh said, to your point earlier, anyone who sells an AR-15 is liable to a private citizen for a million dollars? Would such a law be subject uh, to this? So all the justices are struggling with what this means and what what they term the floodgate issues on this. The two liberals, Breyer and Sotomayor, two of uh, the three, Kagan's another, um, are pressing uh, all sorts of hypotheticals that could be could lead to private citizen end arounds when it comes to race integration of schools. As you mentioned, the right to same sex marriage. There's no end to what an angry citizenry could do. It would lead to the complete erosion of predictability on our constitution constitutional rights in the law and not just for judge made law like Roe, but actual rights as documented in the Bill of Rights. Sure. I mean, you could do it with the First Amendment. Anybody who engages in hate speech, even though hate speech is protected by the First Amendment, uh, can be can be sued. So this is not an abortion case. The abortion case will be argued. This is not an abortion case. This is a case about whether states can circumvent rights by allowing private citizens to bring lawsuits that would make it impossible for people to exercise their rights. Nobody's going to take a chance. No cab driver, no Uber driver, no doctor is going to take a chance that he can be or she can be ruined completely by a lawsuit. Now, you know, once the lawsuit comes up, it'll probably be struck down as unconstitutional. But in the meantime, and we all live in the meantime all the time, thousands of women are being chilled out of being able to get abortions now. And by the time the Supreme Court rules, they may be beyond the period where even under the Supreme Court, they can get abortion. So Mm. it will have succeeded in undercutting a woman's right to have an abortion before a certain amount of time passes. Mm -hmm. They can. I mean, obviously, they can go to another state outside of Texas. But given the socioeconomic situation that a lot of women are facing, not everybody's got the money for that. Not everybody's got the time to drive all the miles and so on. So, I mean, you know, as as a lawyer, I look at this and say, I get that you don't like it. This is not the way to do it. This is there is a real case coming up that's going to challenge Roe versus Wade out of Mississippi. The court's going to hear it. They're going to get to the the bare bones of whether Roe should stand and Casey, which reinterpret it in 1992. This is not the way. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears. The case for vaccine mandates that by Alan Dershowitz. And um, so I I didn't read the whole book, but I I, there it is. But I've read the outline that my team did. Why don't why don't you summarize? Because I know you're measured on it. You're not you're not saying in every case they can do it. You're basically saying it has to be a balancing test on whether they can do it. So give us sort of the Mm -hmm. bottom line version on whether you think they can do it here with respect to the COVID situation. Well, it should always should be a last resort. Making people do anything to their body should always be a last resort. The first thing we should do is make sure that vaccines are available to everybody. Second thing we should do is use the bully pulpit of the president. And today, lots of, for example, black doctors are getting on television and urging members of the African-American group community to get vaccine. That's the way to do it, to make sure it's available. Second, you can limit coming to places based on not being vaccinated. For example, somebody may say, I have a right to go to the theater not being vaccinated. Well, I have the right to go to the theater and not catch your uh, illness. So 
it's it's a balancing right. And I think the courts will and have upheld that. Uh, for example, Indiana University restricted coming on the campus. That will be upheld. The last question and the hardest one will be, what if nothing works and we really have to compel people to get a vaccination like Massachusetts did in Massachusetts versus Jacobson in 1905? Of course, they only had a dollar fine and there it was a state statute that was passed. I don't know how the court will come out on that. I think it's a last resort. I do think that there's a strong case for compelling vaccination, if nothing else will work to stop the pandemic. George Washington required every single soldier fighting for the revolution to have a smallpox vaccine, saying that we're at greater risk of losing the revolution based on smallpox than we are in losing the revolution based on British uh, uh, victories in the, on the battlefield. That's not a precedent, but it tells us that I think decent people should favor vaccination, if vaccination can help prevent the spread of disease. In the book, I give a hypothetical. What if we develop a 100% foolproof vaccine on on no no side effects, and it cures cancer and heart disease, but it has nothing, no effect on, on, on communicable diseases. Everybody should take it, but the government should not be allowed to compel people to take a vaccine that merely saves their own lives. Only when the vaccine will help prevent the spread to others who don't want to get the disease should the government have the power to do that. That's not me speaking. That's John Stuart Mill. That's many great philosophers over time. And I think that's the right approach. Your right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose and your right to sneeze on me without being vaccinated ends at the my nostrils and my lungs. And so we have to strike an appropriate balance. And the balance is last resort. You don't do it unless it's absolutely essential. Then there's the question of exceptions. Should there be a religious exception? Wait, before we get to that, let's let's table that for one second and just stick with part one uh, before we get to the exemptions. So I I feel like that would have been a stronger argument, you know, the mandate, because we have to protect public health and your right to sneeze and sort of infect me ends at my nose when we were dealing with the alpha variant versus the Delta, because the Delta can be spread by the vaccinated as well as by the unvaccinated. I actually thought it was kind of interesting just this weekend and getting ready for this segment. um, I read an article in The Lancet, this respected medical journal, citing a study by the Imperial College of London, et cetera, and other researchers. And what they concluded is the vaccinated are just as infectious as the unvaccinated. They are just Mm -hmm. as infectious. So you do not prevent my sneeze from causing you covid by the fact that I'm vaccinated or unvaccinated. It just it that's not the way Delta works. And I think it undermines the case for vaccine mandates. What say you? Well, what say I is that there are disputes about that study and about other studies. Uh, There are other studies that say the fewer people get the disease at all, the lower the rate of spreading. And if you have initial vaccinations, even against the first variant on that, it will prevent or help prevent the spread. It's not 100%. It's a question of the balance of probabilities. But we know from demographic experience that countries in which there is massive vaccination, uh, New Zealand, Israel, Denmark, uh, some other countries have a much lower rate, not only of the spread of the disease, but of hospitalization, 
and of death. But that's and a different story. Ho- lower risk of hospitalization and death speaks to, did, did I get the vaccine to protect myself from being hospitalized or, or dying? Yes, I did. Or, so Megyn Kelly or, is, is better protected versus somebody who doesn't have the vaccine and didn't have COVID. But I think it's it's a tougher argument to make when I can infect somebody. Now, maybe not for the same amount of time. I see the argument like you are, if you're vaccinated, you are still less likely to catch COVID. The time you can spread it is shortened. But when you do get infected, these so-called breakthrough infections, as yeah. they have been dubbed, Jen Psaki just announced she got one. Um, yeah. You are just as efficient a spreader as the unvaxxed. And as you know, the courts have sort of a sliding scale where you look at how necessary is it, how much protection would it give if we mandated it. And I think the fact that you can spread it really, really well as a vaccinated person undermines the case for vaccine mandates. I I make that case in my book. Even before some of this data became available, I said in my book, if it turns out that the spread of the disease is not slowed down by the third vaccine or by the second vaccination or even by the first vaccination, that strengthens the case against the mandate. I acknowledge that. Uh, it has to follow the science. It yeah. has to follow the data. Okay, and so- it would be unconstitutional, I think, for mandate vaccination if the data shows that there is no effect whatsoever on preventing the spread to other people. I don't think that's what the data is now showing. I don't showing. think we're at no effect whatsoever. I think that overstates the, the Lancet argument. argument. Yeah. But no, can I, I so, so let's let's I switch to exemptions because there's been some interesting legal precedent, you know, back and forth. I continue to follow it. It's I would say in yeah. general, it's going for the mandates, the legal precedent that we've seen so far, it was not just Jacobson from 1905, but the more recent cases to challenge mandates, the challenges yeah. have been losing. But well, here and there you see I mean, a win. So what's your take on what we've seen so far from the courts on the exemptions? Well, let, me, let me start. Medical exemptions, of course. Uh, I've had members of my own family that have been medically exempt because of pre-existing conditions, et cetera. And that should be done. And that's being done for the most part. And it should be broadened um, to make sure that nobody has to take a vaccination if it in any way endangers their health. I think the religious exemption is, is largely a phony. And I have challenged rabbis, priests, and ministers to show me where in the Jewish religion, in the Protestant, in the Catholic, or in the Muslim religion, there is any prohibition on vaccination. I know the Jewish religion best, the Torah, commands, commands that anybody who has an infectious disease must be taken out of the camp and put in the outskirts of the city until the infection uh, dissipates. In Jewish law, there's a concept called pikuach nefesh, the saving of life. And that's why 99% of rabbis say take the vaccine. 99% of priests, 99% of ministers say take the vaccine. Now, if you're a scientist or a Jehovah's Witness and have a long-standing historical objection to any medical intervention, I would give that exemption uh, 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 some 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 support. But if you're a, a, a mainline Catholic, Protestant, and Jew, you're misusing your religion to try to have a political decision. That's number one. Number two, the Supreme Court has held in a case called Seeger versus the United States, a conscientious objector case, that if you're going to have a religious exemption, it has to apply to non-religious ideological exemptions if the ideology fits the place that religion would fit into the life of somebody who was traditionally religious, which means the religious exemption can basically eliminate the mandate because anybody can then say, oh, my God, I don't believe in God. I'm not a traditional this. I'm not that. But 
Um, for me, it's so important. It's just like it would be if it were religious. And so the very fact that we've expanded the religious exemption to include people who are not religious make the religious exemption much, much harder to apply without gutting the entire process. So I get I get the objection to the religious exemption. I do. I take myself pre-COVID and I think about all the kids who more and more who are showing up at school in New York City with measles, you know, a disease they yeah. did not have to get. Yeah. And it's highly contagious. And I remember being like, oh, if, you know, if they would just get the vaccine, we wouldn't have to deal with this. I don't want my kid next to another kid with measles. Um, sure. So I get it. But I do also see the difference with the COVID vax because it's newer. And if you take it to the opposite extreme, let's say, you know, we know that the COVID vaccines were tested, not they don't have in them, but they were tested on clones of stem cells that at one point were linked to fetuses. Uh, I'm told it was uh, voluntary abortions 50 years ago, but we still have those stem cells and clones of them were used to test the vaccines here. I that's the reality. Let's say it came out that the vaccines actually had stem cells in them from aborted fetuses. Don't you think Catholics could come out, even ones who hadn't objected to the MMR vaccine and say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 we're not. I'm not putting that in my body. Certainly not not Catholics, maybe Protestants, certainly not Catholics. Catholics take their guidance from the Pope and from the Vatican. The Pope is infallible. The Pope has said, get vaccines. Now, I never signed on for that. I never signed on for Pope infallible. I I didn't sign that clause in my Catholicism class. You're not a real Catholic. Uh, if you didn't sign infallibility, you're like me. I don't sign on for rabbinical perfection. That's why, you know, I'm a secular Jew and, and you're a kind of secular uh, a Catholic. You have yeah. to sign on for Pope infallibility. You have to sign on for the Vatican telling you what you're going to do if you're otherwise become a Protestant. Protestants talk directly to God. They don't need the intervention of a pope or a hierarchy. That's why there was a revolution of, of the Reformation. Uh, but if you're going to say the Catholic Church says don't take vaccines, you got to cite the Vatican, you got to cite the Pope, you got to cite your priest. If you can't do that, I, I don't think you have a Catholic. I objection. don't know if you're right. All right. So now that we've d- we've broken down my Catholicism, I don't think you're right because we are seeing some of these religious exemptions upheld. Uh, there was just a ruling in New York. I think there was one in the Tenth Circuit where more and more they're saying you do have to allow. I might be wrong about the Tenth Circuit, but New York certainly there was one saying you've got to allow for yep. a religious exemption. You can't have these that, vaccine mandates without it. Religion is prevailing. The Supreme Court today has a six to three majority. Uh, to overrule a previous decision written, interestingly enough, by Justice Scalia, which says that religion has no special status. If there's a law of general application, even if it violates your religious rights, you have to comply with it. I think there are now six justices, at least five, that are prepared to overrule that decision and say that if you have a special religious exemption, you may have a right under the Constitution not to do it. So if you're asking me to predict what the Supreme Court will do, I'm on your side. If you're asking me to, to tell you what I think is right, I think that the uh, medical exemption is right. I think the traditional religious exemption for people who have a longstanding objection to any medical intervention is right. But when you get a couple of Jews here and there, a couple of Catholics here and there, and some Protestants saying our interpretation of the religion goes against everything that the established religion says, but we want to have our own interpretation there, I'm skeptical. Let me tell you something crazy. At our school, um, our one of, one of our schools that our our, ch- our, ch- our boys go to, 
Um, the medical exemption is as follows. If your son has an adverse reaction to the first shot, then we will recognize a medical exam. I mean, it's insane. It's like, what if we have a blood clotting problem in our family? What if we what if he already's had myocarditis and we don't want to take the risk of having it get worse? The, the answer is no. He has to take it or gets expelled. I and mean, that's insanity, yep. Alan. That's, that's insanity. I, I can't take I personally cannot take the third shot because I do have a clotting issue. I took the first two shots, but I can't take the third shot. I want to take the third shot. I'd like to, but my doctors have told me I can't take it. Uh, because there may be some cladding problems. I think, as I said right in the beginning, there should be very broad medical exemptions. When in doubt, exempt. Because yeah. it really doesn't matter if a few people don't get the vaccine. Uh, by the way, if you don't get it, you have to be more careful. Um, I've decided not to go to the opera because I can't get the third shot. I wanted to go to the opera, but I'm making a personal decision. Because I can't get the third shot, I'm making decisions not to eat in indoor restaurants, not to go to the opera, not to go to the theater. I would have otherwise. So you have to make sensible judgments about these things. It shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be ideological. It's very upsetting to me that more Republicans uh, are skeptical of the vaccine than Democrats. That shouldn't be the case. Skepticism should arise out of personal views, personal belief, personal experience, not ideology, mm-hmm. political. And it's uh, well, and you're doing the right thing because you're I think I think you're 80 now. Right. And so you, you do. Proudly 83. 83. Yeah, you got to be careful. And so I support that. You know, it's it's different when we're looking at young kids and it's like you have to get it despite the fact that you might have a family history. No, it's, family history is not enough. You you as this, you know, 12 year old, you have to have the history. It's like, well, I have a history of nothing. I'm a, I'm a little boy. Sure. Um, so I, as some of these policies are insane. Um, anyway, we continue to see the cases come day by day. I think it is going to play out legally. And I think it, the law ultimately will wind up being a little bit more sympathetic towards those objecting to the vaccine mandates, though they haven't exactly had a great record. That's so far. The thesis of my book is be careful, be balanced, be nuanced, don't be ideological, follow the science, use mandates only as a last resort, recognize individual autonomy, all of that. But in the end, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. And that's what yeah. the thesis of Yeah. I mean, I'm not either, but I'm an anti-mandator. Um, more with Alan after this. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. 
Alan, so two cases to go over, and let's start with the one that's been all over the news these past couple of weeks, and that's what happened to Alec Baldwin on the set of his movie where he shot the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins. Um, Just breaking now, New York Post, her final words, it's chilling. You recall she was shot by Alec Baldwin, who was on set and um, reportedly did not know that the gun that he had in his holster was loaded with what we're told was a live round. That means here a live actual bullet, which most of the experts say should have absolutely no place on a movie Mm -hmm. set. They've got just so the audience knows they've got blanks that go into guns that um, are a little dangerous that that can that can make smoke and they look and sound like real bullets. Then they've got dummies that just look like real bullets, but they wouldn't give you the sound. But that's just that's for like a gun like this where you could see the bullets in the movie shot and they just want it to look like a real loaded gun because you can see in a Colt 45 if the bullets aren't showing. That's what a dummy round is. Then there's a live mm-hmm. round which should not be on a movie set. And what the sheriff seems to be saying is this was a live round. Alec Baldwin never should have had in that gun. Somebody gave him the gun. Somebody admitted that they didn't check the gun, the the, the, the assistant director. Um, in any event, now we're learning that Helena Hutchins told a boom operator on the Rust movie set as she, seconds after she was shot. Sad. That was no good. That was no good at all. And within yeah. a few hours, she was pronounced dead. Um, right. Also being told that as soon as because the director, Joel Souza, was also reportedly struck by the same round. He dropped to the floor, said, what the F was that? That burns. What the F just happened? He had no idea. And um, they are reporting that Alec Baldwin said before he fired the shot. So I guess I'm going to take this out. I'm going to pull it and go bang. It was supposed to be loaded with dummy rounds. He was practicing for the scene. And now the sheriff's saying, Alan, that they are very much taking issue with the word accident and that yeah. we should be talking about this in terms of potential crime. Do you see criminal charges being brought? Well, remember, I was involved legally in the two prior cases. I was involved in the Twilight Zone case where Vic Morrow and two children were killed. Uh, I helped to represent John Landis, the director. He was acquitted. And then I was involved as a consultant on the Brandon Lee case, Uh, Those two cases should have led to never allowing a real gun, even with blanks on a set. That should be the law. Fake guns made out of wax. Use CGI. Use all kinds of special effects. Never allow a gun on a set. The Second Amendment doesn't apply to movie sets. And so this was a homicide scene. This was a homicide. The question is, is anyone guilty? of manslaughter. Remember, the presumption of innocence doesn't operate about a set or an event. There's a presumption that if somebody is killed like this, it was a crime. It was not an accident. But then every individual has a presumption of innocence, and you have to focus on each individual. Now, I can't see a strong case being made against Alec Baldwin. He was given a gun, saying it was a cold gun. Although he was a producer, I don't know what that really means in the context of a movie like this. It's hard to pinpoint criminal responsibility on him. The person handing him the gun, perhaps. The person who is the armorer, perhaps. Uh, You can't have a conspiracy here because nobody agreed to do anything uh, that would have caused death. But I think this should be a homicide investigation. And the effort should be to see whether there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt that any individual engaged in manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, improper use of a gun. But this is a homicide scene, not an accident scene. 
And just to, you know, you're not to get conspiratorial, but I guess we don't really know. I mean, it, who knows whether somebody intentionally manipulated that gun, that the, the armorer wasn't union. Yeah, I'm not impugning the union, but well, I'm just saying that happened. That would not but, be a voluntary manslaughter. That would be murder. But, you know, be murder. let's not presume anything. Yeah, yeah. As, there's no there's no evidence that somebody intentionally tampered with the gun to create a murder. Out between stupidity and malevolence, I always opt for stupidity. That's been my experience over mm-hmm. time. So in New Mexico, where this happened, they don't have a negligent homicide charge. It would be involuntary manslaughter. That means a person engages in uh, a lawful act, but unintentionally kills someone uh, in a negligent way or in a way not using due care. It's a fourth degree felony. You could get up to 18 months of prison slash probation. Um, So I do wonder, because you've got the armor, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, she would have been responsible for the gun initially. She... Uh, but then it was the assistant director, David Halls, who right. was apparently overseeing a series of onset mishaps with that gun and admits he did not check the the you're supposed to check the barrel and, and or the I actually don't know the, the word, but you're supposed to check the bullets and, and look at each one of the six bullets. And he admits he didn't. And that's that's how he missed the live round. Um, what do you think? I mean, there, do you think in a normal case that didn't involve celebrities, they would even be considering charging somebody here? Oh, I think you have to consider charging. The circumstances are such that you have to presume that there was a, a, a crime here. Um, in, in New Mexico, yes, negligence is enough, but it has to be a higher level of negligence than the ordinary civil negligence. There's also another statute, a gun negligence statute, which creates a minor misdemeanor. Um, and uh, that uh, also requires a degree of negligence higher than a simple tort negligence. So if you ask me in the end, do I think there are going to be criminal charges? I think it's going to be very hard to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that any particular person engaged in criminal negligence. But the investigation ought to be a homicide investigation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's tricky because you're going to have everybody for the listening audience. I'm pointing to my left and my right, but you're going to have everybody pointing at each other. It was him. It was her. It was, you know, it was his fault, yeah. including um, folks are going to point at Alec Baldwin in two different roles. Number one, um, he was, this is according to Zach Knight, a pyrotechnic and special effects engineer who's a member of Local 44. He's, this is to the Daily Mail. He said, Baldwin ignored the golden rule of gun safety by pointing the prop at someone. The gun never should have been loaded, obviously, with live in, in ammunition. But he says... Um, th- Every single person on a movie set has a right to inspect the weapon before it's fired. And there's no reason to ever put a person in front of a weapon that's firing. Anytime you see a movie where the barrels pointed down the camera lens, there should not be an operator behind it. And so apparently what they normally do is they train actors. You never just in case, just God forbid, something like this were to happen. You know, you just never know. Um, You just never point your gun at a real person on set. And so Alec Baldwin is not off the hook legally yet. And this may explain his demeanor. Of course, the shock of having taken a woman's life, even inadvertently, has got to be overwhelming. Here he was this weekend in Manchester, Vermont, with his wife, Hilaria, dealing with the paparazzi who got him to make some comments. Listen. I've been ordered by the sheriff's department in Santa Fe. I can't answer any questions about the investigation. I can't. Mm-hmm. It's an active investigation in terms of a woman dying. She was my friend. She was my friend. The day I arrived in Santa Fe to start shooting, I took her to dinner with Joel, the director. We were a very, very, excuse me, we were a very, very, you know, well-oiled crew 
shooting a film together, and then this horrible event happened. Oh, yeah. What are the questions that you have other than that? You met with the, uh, the, the, the um, I'm afraid I forget her name in the moment, but you met with her family? Uh, in the Helena, day. Yes, her I name met is with Helena. Her if you're spending this much time waiting for us, you should you know, know her, her name. name. Her name is Helena. Helena Hutchins. I met with her husband, Matthew, and her son. Yeah, that's right. And uh, how did that meeting go? Uh, I wouldn't know how to characterize it. They're, 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 they're you, mortified. You guys, you, guys you know what? You, I mean, no details. Would, would, do, do me a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question. Well, I appreciate that he was probably very upset. The, 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 the guy is overwhelmed with me. This is something that, that you know, there are incidental accidents uh, uh, on film sets uh, from time to time, but nothing like this. This is a one in a trillion episode. It's a one in a trillion film. And so he is in shock. He's a nine-year-old son. You know, we are... You know, in constant contact with him. Would you ever work on another film set that involves uh, firearms of that nature? I couldn't answer that question. I, I really don't have any. I have no sense of it at all. I do know that an ongoing effort to limit the use of firearms in on film sets is something I'm extremely interested. in. Do you think production will start up again on? No, that? I don't. So just do me a favor, you know, my my kids are in the car crying. Because you guys are following. And all I want to do, as a courtesy to you, I came to talk to. I'm not allowed to comment on the investigation. I talk to the cops every day. My point is, is that, is that I'm just asking. We sat down as a courtesy now to talk to you. Now, please, would you just not follow us for the rest? Of, just, just leave us. Just alone. go home. We gave go you home. everything we could thank possibly you. give you. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Condolences. Thank you. Now turn it off. Okay, I have a couple of thoughts that I'll I'll just make on my own. You don't have to own these, but the fact that. He keeps shutting his wife up. It's just classic Alec Baldwin. The fact that she tries to inject herself in every two minutes is classic Ilaria Baldwin, who did the fake accent and pretended that she was lat- Latina and she's not. She almost slipped into her Latina accent there at the end. I, careful observers will hear her. Um, and the fact that he actually stopped and spoke with the paparazzi was not smart. They, they, they follow you. This is what they do. But I don't think he should have been speaking at all. I do think he got a couple of kernels in there, Alan, legally, that were probably intentional like this was a very very well-oiled crew that's That's not what the news reports say that's gonna hurt him that's gonna hurt him this was not a well-oiled set this was a set filled with problems and if i were a prosecutor i would have welcomed that statement as subject to cross-examination um the other point is that he's not allowed to speak of course he's allowed to speak the sheriff can't stop you from speaking the sheriff has told him not to speak And either you speak or you don't speak, but you don't go and speak a little bit and then say you can't answer the hard questions. So I think it was a mistake for him to have allowed himself to be interviewed. Mm -hmm. So he could get sued. I mean, because the civil lawsuits 100 percent are coming. I mean, that's yeah, that's a guarantee. So how does that play out? Because he he does raise a good point. This is one in a trillion episode. All right. I mean, it's not unheard of, as you pointed out at the beginning of this talk, but it's extremely rare to be seeing something like this. So I think that does help all involved. You know, there's probably a reason the assistant director was a lax in checking the gun, the armorer. We have yet to hear her full story. And um, Alec Baldwin, everyone's on there assuming there is zero chance there's a live round in this gun. Um, Does that help them as a civil matter? It does. It helped us a lot in the um, case involving uh, John Landis, we were able to prove that helicopters having their rudder delaminated had never happened before, and the jury acquitted on that ground. This is different. There have been accidents involving guns, and that's why you have to take such extraordinary precautions. And if they didn't take all the precautions, then the one in a million, one in a billion doesn't operate. The one in a million operates 
when the precautions are taken. They don't, it doesn't operate when an assistant director hands you a gun saying it's a cold gun without having personally inspected it. Mm-hmm. So I think he made a terrible mistake by talking about well-oiled. Uh, it wasn't well-oiled. It was a disaster. And mm-hmm. we know that people walked off in advance. We know that there were complaints. We, we hear that there were other incidents involving guns. And we know that although killings are very rare, accidents involving guns are not that rare. Uh, people get hurt by the percussion sound, by, uh, by the, the blast. There should never be a firing, even of blanks, on a set. Everything should be CGI. And if that means that 1% or 2% less realistic, too bad. You sacrifice realism for life. Mm. What about, I think the reason he said that is because he's not just on that set as Alec Baldwin, the actor. Right. He's there as a producer. So this is in part his production. Now, I don't know, generally when you're Alec Baldwin, you get your name on there as a producer, even though you might not actually be the one who has effective control. But I have heard reports that he did have control on this set and that people were very wary of upsetting him and so on. And so I my felt like that very, very well-oiled crew was in his with his producer hat on, not wanting to get sued as the man, one of the men or women ultimately responsible for all the mistakes on the set. He can't really win this by pointing at the assistant director because he's got a higher role. He's not going to win this, first of all, civilly, because even if it was the assistant director, this in tort law, responding at superior, you're responsible for the people that you hired. And so uh, although his role as a producer was probably nominal, um, civil liability, if I were his lawyers, I'd be moving to settle immediately uh, with payments of extraordinary amounts of money. There's no way he can win a civil uh, case. But I think none of that necessarily leads to criminal liability. Yeah. So I think there'll be a, a distinction. But I, I hope that the fact that there might not be criminal liability will not affect the changes in the future. The key is the future. No mm-hmm. real gun should ever be allowed on a set, period. End of the sentence. Every gun should be fake and every blast should be done by CGI. You cannot allow real guns on a set. And here there was rumors that they was hunting off the set. You just can't do it. It has to be 100% clear, 100% certain, no guns, no real guns on the set, even with blanks. Remember that Brendan Lee was killed by a blank. There yeah. was a blank in the, in the uh, gun. And the blank had a little bit of a shard from a previous bullet. And the shard, the tiny little shard, severed his aorta and killed him. And that couldn't have been it anticipated, which is why the defense won that case. But once you know that, that's not an excuse the next time around. Mm -hmm. 42-year-old woman uh, who was killed. She's got a nine-year-old son. I mean, it's just terrible that, you know, that was no good. That was no good at all. This poor woman. Um, Anyway, we'll continue to watch that and see what happens. Now, on to Andrew Cuomo, uh, our, our last topic. He has been... Well, charged. The sheriff is charging him, but the DA is saying, I am surprised. I was not involved, which is very weird. Um, But the the charge is forcible touching of a young woman named Brittany Camiso, who I'll put it in her words. This is what she says Andrew Cuomo did to her. You should know that the governor, now former, denies it. Here she was speaking to CBS. And the hugs at first were hugs. And then they were hugs when he would pull me close to the point where he could feel my breast on his chest. I then felt, while taking the selfie, his hand go down my back onto my butt, and he started rubbing it. 
not sliding it, not, you know, quickly brushing over it, rubbing my butt. And did you ask him, what are you doing? Well, this was while I was taking the selfie. I became so nervous that my hands were clearly shaking. Came back to me, and that's when he put his hand up my blouse and cupped my breast over my bra. So forcible touching is a misdemeanor in the state of New York. It involves uh, touching one for the purpose of degrading or abusing her or for the purpose of of gratifying one's sexual desire. He says it never happened. She says she's got proof that she was at the governor's mansion on the day in question uh, in December a few years ago. And uh, he says all your corroborating evidence shows is that you were in and out of the mansion as part of your job. That's nothing. Quote, this did not happen. Your thoughts on how this is going to play out? Well, first of all, we have to ignore anything that Letitia James has done, her report completely. She is an opportunist who decided to run for governor, and she decided to get rid of Gomo as governor because he would have been reelected. So, A, she should never be allowed to run for governor. B, her report should be totally uh, dismissed because it was so biased and so involved in a conflict of interest. What it ends up being is a pure he said, she said, case. There's no corroboration. Mm -hmm. The proof only establishes what Cuomo admits. And that is that she was there. She was there from time to time. She may have been there on the day that she claims this happened. I don't know how to assess that. Uh, She has a story. He has a denial. Uh, If there's no further corroboration, that's the way it will go to a jury. And, uh, but no, the, the, the thumb of should not be put on the scale based on Letitia James. What she did was an absolute disgrace. Remain in the case and file a report, completely one-sided report, intending to use the report to run for governor. That's just not the way the legal system should operate. Well, I've admitted my bias on this because one of my closest friends, Janice Dean, really wanted Cuomo gone and did a great job of calling attention to the nursing home scandal, which is really what should have done it. But I also say, have to say, I believe Brittany Camiso. I don't question her. I, I think she seemed very credible to me. Her story aligns very well with that of the stories of many other women. This guy's got a pattern. He's a lech. That's how he looks to me. I'm glad he's out of office. Criminal liability, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Um, yep. But I always love talking to Alan Dershowitz it's about everything agree or disagree great great insights and great television as always great to see you, alan thank you so much tomorrow i love these guys the cast from ruthless a great podcast are going to be with us for the first time in the meantime go check us out on youtube.com slash megan kelly you got to check out my being attacked by a bird clip from friday and download the show on apple pandora spotify and stitcher see you tomorrow thanks for listening to the megan kelly show no bs no agenda and no fear Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. 
Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them Miracle-Gro.